knowing that it's the breath that you've given us. That if we come to you, it's because you've drawn us. That there's nothing good in us that could possibly merit your love. But you give it just the same. And so we come before you as a broken and sinful people who get renewed and redeemed in Christ Jesus. We come before you as a people who desperately need their God. And so Lord, humble us. Bring us to yourself. Break us that we might know you, love you, obey you, submit to you, pursue you, delight in you, find joy in you, walk in you, loving you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. Lord, do an incredible work in this congregation, Lord. Draw us to Yourself. Help us, O Lord, to see You as glorious and bigger than everything else. We thank You, O God, for hearing our prayers and being with us even now. Lord, throughout this service, would You just walk up and down the aisles, touching every heart, touching every mind, drawing them to Yourself, that not one person would leave here the same, but be profoundly moved by Your presence and Your Word. We thank You, O God, for hearing our prayers, for we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you guys. So glad to see you. Please have a seat. So grateful to see you guys here today. I'm excited to see you. The story I'm about to tell you, I heard from a guy by the name of Paul Bloom, and he gave it during the introduction of his TED Talk. And he said, he said this, it was about Herman Gehring. Anybody here ever heard of Herman Gehring? Yeah, right, first service people, right. And, and yeah, and there's Herman Gehring was Hitler's second in command. He was the one who was alongside Hitler during all those atrocities. But he was also an art lover. He absolutely loved the fine paintings and the fine works of art. But he was, he was sad because he didn't have a Vermeer. Hitler had two Vermeers. He had none. And so he went everywhere to try to find, Gerling did, to try to find these Vermeers until he found someone who would sell it to him. A guy by the name of Hans von Negron. Hans von Negron. Von Negron sold him a Vermeer for what today would be $10 million. Now, you know what happened at the end of the war, right? World War II came to an end. Goering was arrested and tried at Nuremberg. He was sentenced to death. But the Allied forces, as they took all of his stuff, they started to go through all his stuff, noticing these incredible paintings. And they made, they made a determination that they would find out 
who had sold this to him and prosecute them for treason. Remember, this is a Nazi germ. This is a guy who, who helped to illustrate, uh, to help to create one of the greatest atrocities. You don't sell that guy paintings. They were furious, and that's what they did. They found Hans von Negron, and they tried him. They found him guilty for treason, uh, tried him in Amsterdam, and Hans von Negron was six weeks into his sentence when he confessed. But he didn't confess to treason. He confessed to forgery. Now, nobody believed him. Everybody just thought he was trying to get his fat out of the fire. So he said, you don't believe me? Get me uh, the supplies. Get me paint and, and get me a canvas and give me some... T-. He also said, get me alcohol and, and some pills. And he said, um, it's true. That is true. Um, and, and he said, I am going to paint for you a Vermeer that is ten times better than the one that I gave that, that disgusting Nazi. And they gave him time, and they gave him everything he asked for, and he did. He painted an incredibly gorgeous Vermeer right before them. Well, his sentence was reduced from a life sentence to just a year. Went from treason to forgery. He eventually got out of jail, became a hero, to the people of Amsterdam, and, and died that way. Now, let's get back to Gehring, because this is, this is important. This is what I really want to talk about. So we turn back to Gehring, who's pictured here. Um, you can see, and Gehring was inter- interrogated by, um, by the Allied forces, and the interrogators described him as an amicable psychopath. An amicable psychopath. Like a, like a, like a, uh, all right, yeah. So is, uh, so what's the most interesting thing about this guy, Gary? Remember, many, many people died. Many atrocities were done. I mean, the Holocaust and all the things that you think about when you think about World War II. When they finally told Gehring that the painting that he had was a forgery, it was a fake It was a replica of the original. It was not what Vermeer had actually painted. When they told him that, his biographer wrote this. He said, his biographer said about Goering, he said, he looked as if for the first time he discovered that there was evil in the world. (laughs) Isn't that precious? That's, That's historical. Shortly after that, Gehring actually killed himself. But we bring this up because when Gehring found out that what he thought was authentic was actually a fake, he was devastated by that. When he found out that what was supposed to be an original was really a copy, a facsimile, something other than what it was represented to be, He was devastated. See, what he thought was really this painting was actually this painting. See, they look the same. 
utterly different. Interestingly enough, God is like that. God, when presented with what is supposed to be authentic worship, when presented with what is supposed to be authentic adoration, when presented with what is supposed to be love unto the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it turns out to be fake. It turns out to be just another tool to use God to get what you really want. When your praise and your affections turn out to be just another manipulation to another person so that you can get your real God, him, her, it, that, them. God is brokenhearted as well. It's to this that we are going to give ourselves to for these next six or seven weeks. As we prepare ourselves for Easter, we are going to prepare our hearts with authentic worship. Worship that is not a cheap facsimile. Worship that is not a forgery. Worship that is not a cultural representation, but devoid of any heart devotion. A worship that is true and beautiful and unto a king that is worthy of all our praise. It is that that we're going to give ourselves. Listen, beloved, you will Give yourself to something you already have. You give yourself to something or you have given yourself to something only to discover that when you get the something that you wish you had or that you thought you could not do without, you discover that that thing does not deliver that which you think. The old people nod their head yes. The, new, the young people are like, hmm, I don't know if that's true yet. <laughs> but the older you get, the, and, and listen, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Um, the older you get, the more you know that the thing that you give yourself to, the thing that you sell your soul for, the thing that you pursue with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, That is not Christ, only leaves you thirsty. Only leaves you longing. You pursue, but are not satisfied. And all you have to do, all you have to do is have thought this about one lover. Oh my, right? Some of you, right? Oh my goodness. I would be so happy, oh God, please, why are you doing this to me? Don't let us break up, right? Then you get, right, you get married with the person or you get the person finally and you're like, oh God, let them go. (laughs) Right? Right? You do that. We do this with cars. We do this, right? We we do this with cars. We do this with influence. We think, we think to ourselves, man, I mean, some of us, some of us have found ourselves, all I want is the next one. That thing that will bring me joy. And then when we received it, all we could do is thinking about, think about 
what we could do to get, anybody know? The next one. And so you think, oh, this will satisfy. This will complete. This will give me what I've always been looking for. This will fill the empty space. And God says, no, no, it won't. You don't believe me? Try. Because it won't. Everything else, everything else in this world, listen to me, says, sell all you have, give all you have, and I will fulfill you. Christ says, I will give all I have. I will let go of everything. And I will fill you. It is to this that we're going to speak to. And why are we going to spend six weeks on this? Because, beloved, all of you, if not right now, soon, will be pursuing something that you think will bring you joy or peace or happiness. And you'll be pursuing it to your detriment. You'll be pursuing it to your harm. And here's what will happen. The worst thing in the world, you'll get it. Only to discover that it doesn't satisfy. Only to discover that it leaves you empty. And so I don't want you, listen to me, I don't know if you know this, but you can't get 15 minutes ago back ever again. 15 minutes ago is a unique experience that will never, ever happen again. I don't know if you know how special this group of people actually is. Do you know, never again in the history of the world, either before or going forward, will there ever be this exact group of people in this exact time. This is a holy moment. God has brought all of us here so that He might proclaim that those things that you pursue will not satisfy, but He knows of one who will. And so we're giving ourselves to God's word. We're giving ourselves to look at God's word. I don't want you to turn away from it. I don't. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Can I tell you something? And I, it's bad to tell you at the beginning, because, but you're going to feel it at the end. This sermon is not going to be one of those that make you feel good. Just tell the person next to you, this ain't a feel-good sermon. Tell the person that you ignored the first time, this ain't a feel-good sermon. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, watch this. This is not going to be a feel-good sermon. This sermon, listen to me, this sermon only gets finished by your doing. And so, if you are here, and you're here for the first time, and you're saying, man, I don't know Christ, I'm not, um, I'm not a Christian, I'm just sort of kind of kicking the Christian tires, somebody invited me, somebody said they'd buy me lunch if I'd come, somebody said, whatever it is, right? Because, like, I know, right? Not all of us come here for the same reasons, but oh, here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're here, what you're going to hear is family talk. What you're going to hear is one Christian telling other Christians what Christ says about Christian ethics. You're not going to hear about how to become a Christian. That's not, that's not today's sermon. Now, if you want to become a Christian, it's simply this, acknowledging that you are worse than you think and God loves you more than you can imagine. That's it. No more excuses. No more telling God, well, if this didn't happen, if I wasn't. No, no, no. Listen, you're worse than you think. So am I. It's okay. I look good on the outside. I dress up good. 
But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst person here. I know that. Listen to me. And God in Christ loves you more than you can possibly imagine. That's the gospel. You should give yourself to Christ right now and say, if, I, if you offer such a great gift, I'll take it. Who would want to argue with that? But what God is going to speak to us today about is He will speak to us about the Christian ethic, the kingdom ethic, the walking with Christ instructions. For those of you who are already in Christ, here's now how I want you to live. We find these instructions in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. 7, Commonly known as the sermon, somebody finish that, the sermon Absolutely, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Now, most scholars believe that it wasn't necessarily a talk like the one that I'm giving you right now that is an extended period of time, and then you sat down. This was a series of talks, a kind of reoccurring lesson that Jesus wanted to give his guys that Matthew and Luke, but Matthew in a great way, put together in a sort of a succinct thing. These are the biggest lessons that Jesus wanted to know. And so, in the different sermons that Jesus preached, you would always hear one or more of these being spoken. And so they put them all together so you and I could know, okay, so this is how, alright, after we come to Christ, after we recognize there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, and only He could save us, that we're sinful and He's holy, that He trades His righteousness for our filth, dies on the cross for us. When we figure that out, when that, when that shoe drops, when that becomes real in our lives, when we see that, then Jesus says, okay, now, here's how I want you to go forward in me. Here's what it looks like, because you'll have your cultural things that'll confuse you. Here's how I want you to live in me. And he gives us five, six, and seven. Today, we're going to focus on a little snippet. Now, when we focus on this, it's not going to be something we've talked a lot about, so there's going to be a lot of gaps, so I'm going to have to explain some stuff. But I want you to put your thinking caps on and stick with me. Will you do that? Okay, put your thinking caps on. Let's do it together. Okay, you ready? Here we go. All right, nice, nice. Good, good, good deal. Now, we stand when we read God's Word because He's holy, perfect, and pure. And we want to remind ourselves that we're not just listening to some words of an incredibly good-looking guy, but we're listening to the words of God in here. So we'll read together. I'm going to read together, okay? Because it's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for me, too. On the count of three, we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 16 through 18. So let's read together. One, two, three. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is seen, who is unseen, and who is seen, will reward you. This is God's Word. Have a seat. Jesus teaching his kingdom ethic, wants to talk about something that is very, very important for you and for me. And the first word he chooses when he goes into this subject is 
when. Because this is not a discussion, this is not a debate, this is not even a command. It's a given. It's when. Not if. When. When, because there are going to be moments in times where you, where you need to, where you need to hunger for God more than anything else ever in your life. And there are going to be moments where you need to pursue God with great passion and focus and concentration and potency. And so he says, when, when. He's not commanding it. It would be as if I said to you, when you eat. It wouldn't be a command. I would just take it as a given. Of course you're going to have a meal. And when you do. So he says, when you fast. Because he's expecting you to, Christian. He's expecting you to. When you fast. Now, what's fast? Good night. What is that, right? Some of us grew up in some, some cultural and context where we were given information where we don't know. So let's just take a little time to talk about a fast. In its briefest... Listen, we're not going to explain fasting in its totality. And so you know, throughout the series, as you know, some of you who've been coming around a lot, you know this already. We never give everything in one sermon. A series, like what we're calling Lent, the six or seven... Uh, week series that this the six week series is builds or rather builds on top of one another. So if you came to the last series, anybody here was blessed by the last series? Anybody at all? Yeah, right. And so in the last series, you know that we started. We were talking about prayer, and each week built a little bit more so that you could apply a little bit more because we feel. The leadership does in this church. We feel like we want life change and Christ being exalted rather than you getting a fat head and knowing everything and not doing a blessed thing. So what you're going to get today, if it leaves you with a bunch of questions or you feel like you don't have all your answers, good. Come next week and we'll add more and we'll add more. But let's just briefly describe what fasting is. Fasting is simply saying no to something in order that you can say yes to God. Does this make sense? Okay, so you're going to say no to something in order to say yes to God. You have done this your whole lives. Ladies, isn't it true that when you uh, were young and in high school or junior high school, you had a series of girlfriends, right? And those girlfriends were your best friends, and they were like womb to tomb, birth to the earth, like you guys love each other. And, and you're gonna, you're just gonna be with each other. And then all that had to happen. All that had to happen. Ladies, anybody know what had to happen? Yeah, he had to come by, right? He had to come by and, you know, and, and come next to you. And then all of a sudden, what you did is you fasted your girlfriends for the sake of getting with your boyfriend, right? You fasted. You said, I'm gonna say no to these friends. And you would even, matter of fact, you were so natural at it, many of you heard it. You know, I don't know what's wrong with you. You used to hang out with us, and now you're like always hanging out with him. No, nobody here has ever gone through that, right? No. And guys, don't sit there like that's not you too, right? Yeah, like, you know, you're like, yeah, no, man, these are my boys. I'm, oh, yo, I got to go, peace out. Yeah, I understand. All of us go through it. My point is simply this. You understand what it is to say no to something in order to say yes to something better. 
That's what fasting is. Fasting is simply saying, I am going to forsake, I am going to turn my back on, I am going not to participate in this thing for the sake of enjoying, delighting, pursuing God. Now, many people have abused fasting and they don't understand, and there's so much more that can be said about fasting, but I simply need you to understand that very tiny point. Because God, listen to me. How, how, what's one way you can develop muscles in your body? Anybody know? Exercise, right? You go to the gym, some of us. You do weights. Others of us run or, you know, do stair climbers and things like that. Others of us just do calisthenics. And others of, of us do, you know, all these other stretching things and all that stuff. Here's my point. My point is, is there's a clear way to build your physical body. Anybody know how to strengthen the muscle of your spirit? It's what, it's, it's what we're going to talk about throughout this entire series. We're gonna, the way we do it is that, we, listen to me, who here has ever, ever had a temptation that they fell to but hated the temptation and hated themselves for falling into it afterwards? Raise your hand if that was you. Right? Oh, yes, just one or two of you. I understand. Yeah, yeah. No, watch this. No, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. This is good. This is good. Watch this. Watch this. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Watch this. The reason is because the only time you get into a battle with the devil is when everything is on the line. Put your hands down. But when you fast, what you're saying is before the temptation comes, before the the thing that I can't say no to enters in, I'm going to train my spirit to, when tempted with something I desire, to delight itself in the Lord. Not if, when you fast. When you fast. When you decide to say no to those things that are good but are not God. And say yes to God whom you delight in. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Stop. Look up at me. There is a type of religion that is disgusting to God. There is a type of pursuing God that grosses Him out. There is a type of saying of people who say they love God, who, who, who kick up God's gag reflexes. And it's this hypocritical, I don't love you, I'm just using you so that I can get what I really want. Oh, how I've seen this over and over I've got some examples for you. I've seen this when I've seen couples come to our church services. And by the way, you understand that this building is not the church. Thank you for bringing the church into this building. This building is the congregation of believers who gather together to hear God's word for the glory of God, that we might do the will of God for the joy of the nations and the fame of our great God. So God says that there's a kind of pursuing Him that is abhorrent to him. And some examples would be uh, 
a, a married couple comes in. And the reason that that guy is coming into this room, the reason that he's coming into this room, is because he blew it. You understand when I say he blew it, right? This is not just he came home late last night. He blew it. His wife threatened to leave him. And if she would have said, I want us to drink broken glass this morning, he would have said, all right, if it'll save the marriage, you know. But he comes in here, and they come in here. And so wife expects God to zap husband. Husband hopes that God will keep his wife loyal to him because he doesn't want to pay the alimony and all these other things. And they come in here, and then their relationship is not fixed in five minutes. You know what they do? They leave. I generally tend to see them a few months or years later. I say, but you were coming to church. You were coming to church for five weeks or five months or five years. And here's their response. They say this. Are you ready? This is unique. You never heard this before, I know. They say, but I gave God a try, and it didn't work for me. And Jesus would say, hypocrite! You pursued the king of kings? For what? For it? What is it that did not work for you? Was God not loyal? Was he not faithful? Did he not pursue you? Did he not love you in the midst of your tears? Did he not draw you unto himself? Did he not know you and want to be known by you? Did he not bring you people so that you might be able to walk with him? Did he not bring you comfort in his word? What on earth must you be talking about when you say, I pursued God, I tried that, but it didn't work for me. Jesus says, hypocrite. Hypocrite. You pursued me for all the wrong reasons. You wanted me for all the wrong reasons. Hypocrite. Don't be like them. Don't be somber. Don't look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. There's another type of hypocrisy. The kind of religion that has the, the ichthus, you know, the little fish on the back bumper, right? Right? And then when someone comes in your car, you go, now, now, there's no cursing here. There's no cursing. No cursing in this car. Okay? The kind that plays your Christian music at work real loud the kind that makes sure that everybody else knows that you're in some way related to Christ. And yet, you do all that for a show. Your heart isn't changed. You pursue grievous sin. Listen to me. Listen to me. That is a kind of pursuing God that makes God want to throw up. And Jesus says, when you fast, when you're pursuing God, when you're saying no to the good stuff so you can say yes to the God stuff, when you do that, don't make yourself out to be a hypocrite. Now, there's a bunch of you in here who go to the opposite. Now, this is not in the text, but let me just say this, because a lot of you actually think like this. You say, and and maybe this is your first time here, so I never met you, so um, bear with me. But here's what you say. You say, well, I'm not going to go to church. And then, of course, a guy like me asks, well, why not? I mean, I, lo- I, I love gathering together with the believers. Why wouldn't you want to? And they say, well, um, you know, I'm not going to be like a hypocrite. I'm not going to go to church and be like a hypocrite. To which I always say, you know, we always got room for one more. You know, <laughs> right? 
But here's my point. No, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. This is big. This is big. You use that hypocrite word as an excuse to stay wallowing in your sin. That's crazy. That's crazy. I remember, I remember, literally, I remember a guy. This blew me away. I was, I was listening to him speak. I was in a certain place and I was watching. This must have been 20 years ago. I could still remember it like it was yesterday. Maybe 21, 22 years ago. Long time ago. He's speaking before this group of people. and It must have been over 200 people. And, and he was talking about how he was going outside of his marriage. This was not a Christian function. He was going outside of his marriage. And how his wife, one day, when he came home at 7 o'clock in the morning, he opened the door and saw his wife sobbing at the kitchen table, as you can only imagine. He walks in the door and says to his wife, I can't take that hurt look on your face. I'm leaving. And I thought to myself, disgusting. I had no idea who Christ was at then, and I knew that that was gross at that time. Listen to me. Listen to me. Rather than going up and saying, I, I can't take that hurt look on your face, I'm going to change. I'm going to get some help. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask God for help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get some counseling from somebody who loves Jesus, who can walk me through this. You see, there's a different kind of hypocrite. The hypocrite who loves his sin. The hypocrite who doesn't live up to his standards. The hypocrite who says, I believe in God and lives like they don't. There's, there's the hypocrites. There's the hypocrites who come to church and say, listen to me, there's you religious hypocrites that God is, is tough to stomach. And then there's your irreligious hypocrites and, and, and a lot of you irreligious hypocrites, you're probably listening to this on the podcast because you wouldn't darken the door of a church building. But you're a hypocrite. And you need Jesus. And those of you who are here and you got your Bible and you've memorized your verses, let me tell you, you need Jesus. We need Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites. They do all this for a show. Truly, I tell you, here's what he says, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. What Jesus is saying is that if you are fasting, if you are saying no to the God, to the good thing, for the sake of saying yes to the God thing, if you're saying no and yes, and you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're doing it to get an award, or God forbid, I know that people who do fasts, as diets. They go, I go, wow, you're fasting. And they go, yeah, you know, I'll be able to lose a couple of pounds. <laughs> like, you just want to punch that person. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's what God is for. That's what you're using God for. Lose a couple of pounds. Join Janie Craig. Are you kidding Jesus says, you lost six pounds. There's your reward. You go, but nothing happened in my fast. Oh, no, 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 you got your six pounds reward. Way to go. You looked great in that bathing suit. Way to go. There's your reward. Some of us, we, we do it as if to point to ourselves that we are more religious or we are more dedicated or we are more committed. Beloved, 
Our, our comparison should never be with one another. Our comparison should always be with how Christ lived and walked on this earth. And I don't know if you've ever been on that comparison ch- chart, but I fall short every time. I go, Jesus, make me more like you. I want to be more like you. I'm so far from that. Make me more like you. Jesus says, you got your reward if you do it for any other motive than knowing and growing in love for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verse 17, he says, but when you fast, and there it is again, but when, not if, but when you fast. Put oil on your head and wash your face. Look, look up. Jesus is saying, don't don't advertise your religious duties or acts. Don't advertise it. Don't make it so that everybody goes, wow, that guy is really moral or that guy is really Christian or that guy is really whatever. That girl, wow, she really loves Jesus. Listen to me. Put oil Wash your face. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, don't go about making, making it obvious to everyone. So here's what that would look like. Some of you will actually take this sermon seriously. And tomorrow you'll fast. You'll fast something. You'll fast chocolate. You'll fast Facebook. You'll fast, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be food, right? But the food is mostly what the Bible speaks about, so I'm talking about food, right? Because that's the, that's the real fast that I'm most experienced with. Not that I'm an expert at this. I'm just saying that's the one I'm most experienced with. Um, and so Jesus says, there will be some of you who take this seriously and, and who tomorrow will fast. And you'll stop eating. You'll say, 7 o'clock tonight, you'll stop eating. And then you'll skip breakfast. And you'll walk into work. And, and people will be like, hey, you know, you get to your locker, you get to your desk, you'll get to your office, you'll get to where you're supposed to be, around the people you work with. And people go, hey, how you doing, man? How's everything going? Okay. And they go, wow, you seem a little down. What's going on? I, I can't say. And then, then they go, no, really, you know, man, is there something I can help you with? No, 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 it's not like that. I'm, all right, I'll just tell you. And it's like the biggest gossip in the whole uh, organization, right? You go, I'll just tell you. I'm fasting. <laughs> and you go through that whole deal. And it's like, and God is going, dude, just stop. Just stop. You're not cool. That doesn't look cool. Listen. Listen to me. What God is saying is, be cheery. Be bright-eyed. Be bushy-tailed. Put your best perfume on. Put your nicest clothes on. You, you go, and when they say, how are you doing? You go, I am fantastic. I have, I have said no to the right things and said yes to the wrong. I mean, I said yes to the right things and said no. Some of y'all are going to write that last one down. I know. Make me mad. Piss me off. <laughs> I am doing great. Skittlelum. Rewind. I am doing fantastic. I have said no to the wrong things and I have said yes to the right things. I have submitted unto God. I am feeling stronger and stronger by the moment. I am pursuing Christ with great abandon and I see no tiredness in sight. That's, that's the kind of fasting that God would say. 
And he would beckon you to wash your face, put some oil on your head, make yourself look alive. I remember when I've gone through extended fasts, um, uh, uh, I've had to wear layers and layers of clothes so that it doesn't look like uh, anything other than I'm just joyful in the Lord, that I'm, I have the peace of God. Um, I want that for you. I do. Put oil on your head. Wash your face. So that, for the purpose of, this is the reason I just gave you the instruction. The reason, whenever you see a so that, someone say so that. that. When you're reading the Bible and you see a so that, what's going to happen is I'm going to give you the reason for what I just told you. Whenever you see that. So he goes, so that, for the purpose of, the reason I just told you what I just told you. The reason I just said, do this, not for this, but for this. The reason I just said all that, was so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. So that others won't readily see. Now, if someone finds out, like like if you're doing a, a, a fast, let's say you're not on Facebook for seven days, right? All of your friends, for, for those of you who are addicted to Facebook, everybody will know. It's like, oh my gosh, did she die? You know? <laughs> And so they'll come knocking on your doors, like, you know, people you haven't seen in 15 years. I didn't see you on Facebook. I wonder what happened to you. And so, um, so if you do that, right? Okay. So those things may happen. Like if you're, if you're, if you're skipping a day of meals, it's going to be hard to hide from your wife, right? Um, I remember the story of Bill Bright, who's a great man of God who, uh, just a few years ago died. And he started one of the largest Christian organizations, um, that's around right now. And um, he would fast 40 days every year. Just water, 40 days every year. Oh, my. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, he did that every year for like eight years or something until his death. Um, but he did it every year of his life, later on in life. He did it because he wanted for God to be glorified in a revival in America. Isn't that powerful? He just wanted to see God. He wasn't because he wanted the girl or he wanted the, He wanted to see a spiritual awakening in the souls of those who walk our streets. And so there's a story that Steve Brown says, because, you know, Bill Bright was a really, really powerful guy. And he, you know, he ate with presidents and he, you know, things like that. And so um, he, Steve Brown was eating with him at one of these banquets. And what he would do is he would put salad on his plate. And he would make it look bigger, you know, when you spread it out. And then throughout the course of the meal, he would just kind of push the salad down to the side so it would look like he ate something. And then some people would say, well, aren't you going to have the steak or something like that? He goes, no, 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 I'm satisfied. Not full. I'm satisfied. I just love that. That's the kind of spirit. Don't do this for other people to see. Don't do this for the eyes and the accolades of others. Do this because you... You want to grow closer to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father. There it is again. Remember, we just spent the last seven weeks on seeing God as Father and praying to our Father who is in heaven, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret, even though you can't see God, God can see you. Isn't that comforting? 
<laughs> For some of you, not so much. Right, gotcha. I understand. Right, right, right. The idea that you cannot see God, but God can see your every room, every move, depends, depends on where you're at in life, right? It's either a comfort or something of real concern. God can see everything. The Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. And don't you want that reward? I mean, don't you, don't you desire that reward? That you would be rewarded of knowing God deeper. That you would be rewarded with the presence of God. That you would be rewarded not with any substitute, but with God Himself. Wow. You see, God desires for us not to be distracted, but to be focused on Him. Your marriage is falling apart? Focus on Christ. You feel like your life is not going the way you want? Focus on Christ. You feel like there's hope that's just leaving? Focus on Christ. You feel like depression is setting in? Focus on Christ. You feel like there's a something missing in your life? Listen, focus on Christ. It is by saying no to those things that don't matter in the end. And saying yes, yes, to the one who said a great yes for you. See, uh, we were thinking about illustrating this. We realized this is a plate. All of us feast at a table. All of us find our pleasure in something. All of us fill what we think our plate needs. All of us do. For some of us, for some of us, it's entertainment. And we put it down. And it's just all the entertainment. And you know what? You go, but I don't feel God. But I don't feel, well, of course you don't, sweetie. You don't have a minute. You spend 25 hours of the day feeding your mind with entertainment and distraction. Of course you don't. You know, I have this thing. Um, guys, is any other guy like this? I think this is like a cologne curse. I'm, my, name, my last name is Cologne. Um, uh, I think it's like a cologne curse. I, when I'm watching a movie or a TV thing, my wife could be saying that like her arm is falling off. and I, Not that I ignore her. I can't hear her. I'm not kidding. I can't hear her. Is there any other guy who's like that? Some of you women are putting up your man's arm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I just, it, you know what? You, listen to me. But when I stop, when she shakes me or she just like shouts or something like that, and I hear her, and I go, oh, oh, I'm sorry. She goes, did you hear me? I go, no. And I'm always scared after saying, no. Um, and she goes, well, what I said was, and then she tells me what she said. Now, what had happened? What happened is I took my eyes off of the thing that I was entertaining me to focus on the thing that was more important. That's what happens with entertainment. Some of you don't feel the presence of God, and I can tell you that the reason is, is that you simply don't have room. You simply don't have room. You're distracted. What's on your plate? Is it entertainment? Maybe stuff. It's your car, your house, your bank account. I don't know. What's your stuff? Your clothes. How people view you. What's your stuff? The way you look. A particular number on the scale. I don't know. 
What's your stuff? And you think that this will satisfy you. You think that if you eat this, you'll be full. You think that if you take this in, this will make you truly happy. It won't. I guarantee you. For some of you, it's actually good old-fashioned food. And if you're nervous, you eat. And if you're bored, you eat. And if you're consumed with worry, you eat. If you're happy, you celebrate by going to a restaurant. You think this will bring you... This is a, they don't call it comfort food for nothing. Interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And yet we will run to food long before we run. You get it. For some of you, it'll be sports. Couldn't find a basketball. I know it's March Madness. Sorry. This is what you get. What can you do? For some of you, it's sports. And you will, on the altar of that God, sacrifice time with your children, time with your wife, time with God. That's what makes you happy. If your team wins or comes within or your whatever, your thing that you're running in your in your job so that, you know, you see who won and who was the underdog and all that stuff. I want you to know that all of those things that are on that plate, all of them, say, I want you to die for me. I want you to give your life for me. I want you to give your all for me. If you think, if you think that a lover will satisfy, then you have to forsake all other things. And you give your all, and you give your all, and you give your all. They say, die for me. And then when they finally get you, it doesn't satisfy. If you think it's the food that you eat, you eat, and you eat, and you only find a hunger again. If you think that it's entertainment, then you get Entertained, entertained. And then there's a moment in life like a blackout or, uh, or something bad happens and you're not available to, and then you finally have to sit with yourself and you realize you can only be distracted for so long. No one can be distracted forever. Everything else that you put on the plate says, you sacrifice yourself for me. You give your life for me. You, whether it's your cars or your stuff, all those things we talked about. There's only one who says, I will sacrifice myself for you. I will be your delight. I will be your joy. There is one who says, listen to me, I'm not asking you to give up. I will give up everything. I'm not asking you to forsake. I will forsake all. Oh, I'm not asking you to give of yourself. I will give of myself. There's one who says, I'm not asking you to die. I will die for you. And so, we say that in these next few weeks, we're going to spend time with God's Word. I'm going to spend time in the prayer that we just learned how to pray in the last seven weeks.
And we're going to say no to the good stuff so we could say yes to the God stuff. And we're going to do it with great joy, but my question is, what you're going to give up? This is the part where I fulfilled the promise that I told you earlier on. Remember? This is not a feel-good sermon. So what are you going to give up? I'm not talking to the person sitting next to you. I'm talking to the person wearing your shirt. What are you going to give up? What is it for these 40 days? Is it chocolate? Is it marijuana? Um, I mean, right? Like, you know, does anybody know who comes to this service, right? Yeah, right? A couple of joints, okay. What is it? What are you going to give up? What, what are you going to say no to? Now, I'm not asking you to tell me. I'm not even asking you to tell the person who you came with. What I'm saying is, do you know what it is? For some of you, it's television. For some of you, it's um, going to the movies. You just go to the movies like three or four times a week, and you're just like, you know what? I got to chill with that. For others of you, it's buying bootleg movies. Like, you're just going to say, I'm going to say no to that. Yeah, only a few of you are laughing at that. I know. Yeah, I know. But what is it? What's your deal? What is your deal? What's the thing that if I took away from you, God would seem cruel? What's the thing that if I took from you, you would curse God to his face? What's the thing that you think you can't live without? Here's a suggestion. Say no and say yes. No to those things that are, might be good, but they're not God. And say yes. For, for some of you, for some of you, you've been in a relationship, a romantic one, and you're not sure, and, and you know what? You introduced sex into the relationship and it skewered the way you think. It's, it's sort of confused the way you think of the other person. You've introduced a level of connection that an intimacy that you now, all your friends could see that your boyfriend's crazy. All your friends could see that your girlfriend's crazy. But you're like, but I love her. But I love him. Yeah, you can't see it because it's just, it's really, right? Isn't it interesting how people can fall in love with psychopaths just because they slept with them once, right? I was like, yeah, it's crazy, right? Some of you are married. Okay, so, it's bad. That was bad. I just want to make sure you're awake. All right, so, um, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying, though. Here's what I'm saying. Maybe you're saying, we're going to do a 40-day fast on not being alone together. That's it. You can't come up to my crib. I can't come up to your crib. And we're just not going to do it for 40 days. Now, here's the good news. Ladies, um, no matter what he says, he will not die if that happens, no matter what he says. <laughs> no guys are laughing at that. I love how the women laughed at that, but no guys are laughing at that. I like that. All right. So, so he won't die. He won't die. Um, and listen to me. And you'll give yourself a clear-headedness that you haven't had in a long, long time. If the thought of something that simple turns your stomach, 
the thought of losing that person turns your stomach, let me tell you what you've just done. You've just discovered your God. You Say hello. You've just discovered who your real God is. It's not Jesus. It's... Okay, so for some of you, it's that relationship. For some of you, it's chocolate. For some of you, it's ice cream. For some of you, it's not eating after seven. For some of you, it's not eating before, whatever, you know. Um, but what is your thing? Have you figured it out? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down on your yellow cards. Now, the reason I'm asking you to write it down on your yellow cards is because there's going to be a group of people, I being one of them, who are going to be praying for you. Because this is not something you can do on your own strength, is it? When we start talking about giving up something that's really good, for some of you it'll be cigarettes, right? That'll be rough, right? Oh my gosh, I could just see the gum sales going through the roof, right? It's just like, right, lollipops and gums, right? Wow, man, they're going to sell a lot of those, right? Now watch this. So what is it? So, And then could you imagine 40 days without cigarettes? What do you think 41 day? You think 40, day 41, you'll be like, I can't wait to have a cigarette. You think that's what it'll be like? It won't, you know. You'll be changed. You'll be something else. God ha- would have done something in you. And then every time you desire that cigarette, every time you long, every time you have that sort of caffeine kick, caffeine, um, nicotine kick, every time that happens, you'll take the, the time that it takes you to find matches, Ask, bump somebody for a cigarette, get the cigarette, go downstairs, walk outside, smoke the cigarette, sit there, wait till the cigarette smoke leaves your body, then go back upstairs. That 15, 20 minutes, you can spend that in prayer. Because remember, we're not just saying, no, I'm going to be strong. I'm, I'm saying, no, so that, what? I could say, yes. I'm not just saying a no. I'm saying a no so that I can say a yes. So what's going to be yours? You got it? Is it in your mind? (laughs) Some of you don't look so convinced. Okay. I'm going to try to convince you a little bit more. Monty's going to come and give his testimony on fasting. We'll then hear um, a song. Now listen, during the testimony and the song, I just want you to sit and pray. God, give me grace. Grace to do this fast for 40 days, this, um, maybe I'm not going to be sarcastic for 40 days. I'm going to stop my joking, you know, and, and, and maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's, um, you know, TV goes off. Maybe, maybe I'm going to walk to work. And during that walk, I'm going to, you know, it's just, it's just a half a mile or a mile or two. I'm just going to walk to work. And during that walk, I'm going to talk to Jesus. I don't know what yours is. Whatever yours is, I want you to pray that God give you grace to enjoy Him at the same time where you would enjoyed the other thing. Monty? At the end of 2013, there was such an emptiness, loneliness, depression, stagnation, utter fear in my life. And I knew... I wanted, I desperately needed a change and a new beginning for 2014. So I began to look into various schools, colleges, trainings, workshops, and services, but nothing really caught my attention until it was announced that Pastor Gus would be teaching a new class entitled Hungry for God, 
an introduction to fasting. It was to coincide with the new sermon series by Pastor Edward entitled Vertical. Now, like most who attended this class, I had mixed feelings and preconceived notions regarding fasting. And to be honest, I really was not expecting to get much out of it. But oh, how wrong I was. From the very first class until the last, I realized that for all my schooling, all my education and training, I was a newbie, I was a novice, I was a child in the area of fasting. The more Pastor Gus taught, the more I had to know. So after classes, I would hurry home, do research, I would Google everything I had learned. I began to hunger for God in ways I didn't expect. Songs like Draw Me Close to You, This is the Air I Breathe, and If Not for Your Grace became ministry for me. At the end of the class, there was a unified fast on that Saturday leading up to Communion Sunday and the end of the vertical series. The purpose of the fast was to get to know God better. And because I yearned for his presence, on that Thursday at 12 midnight, I began to fast before that Sunday. I had decided that I would not eat anything from Thursday midnight until Sunday after midnight. Now, during that time, I sang worship songs and hymns, read scriptures, prayed consistently, using the vertical prayer guides, which were inserted in our Sunday bulletins. And I also kept a journal. As the fast went on, my sins, shortcomings, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, complacency, my fears, my doubts, insecurities, my low self-esteem, pride, ego, and attitude were all brought to light. You see, God showed me who I was, but he also gave me a way out. For in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, it says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So I fell on my face and asked God for forgiveness and restoration. And I read Psalms 51 over and over and over until every word was my prayer to the Most High. Now, last Sunday, during our prayer and communion service, I still had not felt the presence of God for which I so yearned. But during Pastor Edwin's prayer, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, I began to feel something on the inside which I cannot explain. Like an ocean wave, I felt the presence of God like never before. I became broken, crying, and sobbing. At that moment, I knew I had been forgiven and that God loved me and that I had been restored, healed, delivered, and set free from my past, from the lies of the enemy, and from my own thinking. Oh, what a moment that was for me. It was answered prayer. So I continued with the fast once I got back home because I was on such a spiritual high and I didn't want to eat anything. So I didn't eat anything until Monday evening. And then I was almost reluctant to break it because this fast had put me on the track and he had ignited my hunger for God. So what I'm trying to say is fasting is now and will always be a tool that I will use along with prayer, worship, and the word of God. Thank you.